This is Justin Lundquist of Lundquist Knives, and you're listening to the Bladeology Podcast. jump into it like we do every week welcome to another episode of the bladeology podcast we are on this week with our original host lineup and we do have a guest with us this is the vocal representation of jeremiah burbank from pvk vegas nick chuprin of ncc knives and elijah of Aishan blade works awesome and uh who do we have on with us this week uh, Gavin and Grant Hawk with Hawk Knives. Super. Hey, thanks for uh, thanks for taking time to to come talk with us and uh, and sit down and and go over some some updates. So I, I want to welcome you guys back. You've you've dared to come on a second time, uh, which is pretty exciting. So what have you guys been up to? We haven't talked to you in a while, and uh, I know you guys have been busy working, right? Yeah, I think that's going to be the hard part. I don't know if we got any news or not. It's well, yeah, more of the same. Um, yeah, we've been making deadlocks, uh, fulfilling orders, um, finally getting to the end of this this last batch, batch seven. Um, so it took a little bit longer than expected, uh, but we're I think we've got fifty knives or less to to deliver. Uh, and then we'll be opening the books back up and yeah, making more knives. Oh, that's awesome. So you're just you're just cooking right along. Um, so no real manufacturing hiccups uh, in this process. Just pretty much streamlining um, the manufacture of the deadlock. Uh, well, we've had a few hiccups, uh, but uh, which set us back a little bit. Um, a lot of it's just learning. Uh, pains and uh, uh, you know we're both coming from R and D and building a shop and hiring employees and so uh, just getting all of the logistics and things like that lined out so that knives are going out the door every week uh, it's been a little challenging but we're getting better at it all the time uh, so we're hoping this next batch goes really smooth and uh, we can get things yeah out the door real quick. We've had a few slowdowns with outside sources of coatings and materials and one thing or another, partly because the rest of the world is uh, shut down more or less. So that slowed us up a little bit. Yeah, I know that's that's tricky. Um, Gavin, you, you and I had talked a, a little bit about that, but the, um, just the, the process of literally just making that many knives is... Uh, is tricky, but you guys seem to have, like you said, just sort of just going and, and, and conquering every, every obstacle as, as it comes sort of, sort of say. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's always unexpected, uh, things that come up and timelines that get all distorted. Uh, it's tough because we're not on our timeline. We're on other people's timeline. Uh, so again, like my dad was saying, water jet services and EDM and coatings and screws. And it's just, you know, you think you order these things plenty ahead of time and something goes wrong. Shipments uh, ship to the wrong place. The water jet breaks down. It's just, yeah, there's all sorts of problems like that. So we're, 
we're already we already have a jump on the next batch. Uh, I think I have almost everything, all the material in stock, water jet cut, and ready to go. Uh, so that's going to help a lot. Um, just making everything go smoothly and uh, and being able to yeah put knives out on a timely manner. Nice, nice. Okay, and and we saw that, um, or everybody saw on Instagram that. So you got uh, you acquired another machine, so that must be helping out. Yeah, so we have uh, two new hawses and one old hawse. Uh, so yeah, that's been great. Um, and you know the the hardest thing is just keeping parts in front of it, uh, because yeah, like with the, like I was saying with water jet and things like that. So you got three machines and we were only running two machines at a time because we were always waiting for material. So, uh, the last, I don't know, the last month or so we've had all three machines, uh, running every day, uh, making parts for this next batch. So that's, that's really going to speed the whole process up. Okay. So, I mean, literally, um, with each batch, the next, next batch gets that much easier. Correct. Yes. And, you know, we hired employees. And so getting everybody trained and knowing what to do and what to spot and uh, doing less rework, uh, all of that helps a lot going to the next batch. So everybody's more familiar with what they're doing already and uh, and can catch problems before they become a problem. Right. Okay. Um, so remind me, uh, what is the, what's the next batch? So you're on batch seven. So yeah, the next batch will be eight. Batch will be eight. Um, okay. And we're still kind of debating or trying to figure out the best way to proceed. Uh, the, this last time we took deposits, uh, and, and, uh, you know, we told everybody it was going to be, uh, you know, six plus months, uh, but two or three weeks into it, we were getting emails from people wondering where their knives at. Hmm. Uh, so we're debating on whether or not we want to take deposits or just build knives and, and sell them outright. Uh, I don't know. We're, we're still trying to figure out how to make that work. Taking deposits is nice because you get a big, you know, influx of cash and, uh, that just helps the whole process and everything, you know, all the wheels turn. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah. So anyways, we're just trying to debate about that and see what we're going to do. You know, last time, uh, I had in big, bold letters, uh, that it would, you know, take X amount of months. And, and again, you get people in three weeks asking where's their knife and why hasn't it been shipped yet? And, Mm stuff like that so so i think in general most people are okay but you just get a couple of those guys that kind of ruin it yeah usually every time i do the same thing it's they they, it's not usually where's the knife it's usually like oh how far am like they'll see the first one get done or it's like i'm I'm still machining the parts like oh how far out am i i'm like i don't really know but you still see me machining the parts i still the first ones will start shipping out uh five weeks from now and the last ones will be three months from now right yeah, it's like I'm as yes. impatient as the next guy. It's like you can't expect it to be finished, like you know, right away. It's all yeah, like exactly. From Amazon, <laughs> right? Yeah, and so some people have that mentality, and yeah. uh, I mean, I had one guy that uh, apparently he had sent us an email and we didn't get it, 
And so then he wrote us this angry email that he was going to go down to the police station. He was going to file a report of fraud that he never got his knife and we took his deposit money and just, you know, went on and on and all this stuff he was going to do. And it was the first email that I had received from this guy. Um, So anyway, I just uh, was as nice as I could possibly be and told him to take his money back and please don't talk to me again. Uh, you know, that brings up a, so. an interesting point. Um, so communication, right? That's kind of what you're talking about. You're saying that people aren't, aren't reading the text or, or seeing, seeing the, the, the clear instructions in front of them. I know that you guys had um, put together um, a text message alert system to communicate directly with customers and to like batch text people updates. Um, how, how had that been going? Uh, that actually works really well. Uh, th- there's a couple things I don't like about it. Uh, when we first decided to do that, uh, we were trying to get rid of the uh, our low open rate with newsletters. So you send out a newsletter, and uh, we're pretty lucky. We're getting 50% open rate, um, which is fairly high in our... Um, category uh, but still that's 50 percent of the people that aren't opening the email at all and it's not because they don't want to open it, it's because it's going into a spam filter it's uh they have a you know an email that they set up just for newsletters and they're not checking it and uh, there's a whole bunch of reasons why people don't get newsletters so we initially went to text messaging because uh they have like a 98% open rate or delivery rate for text messages. So we thought that would be a really good way to, to get people. The problem with it is, is that um, it only sends out X amount of uh, messages at a time. So if we've got, you know, 7,000 people on the list, it'll send out 500 and then it'll wait a minute. And then it'll send out another 500, and then it'll wait a minute. Um, and for what we're trying to do, which is send out an alert, like, okay, we have knives ready, uh, click the link, and you can buy a knife. Well, by the time it gets to the last person, the knives are going to be sold out. Um, but uh, since we started using it, uh, we realized that people are way more apt to respond to a text message than they are an email. And so our communication with our customers has increased by a lot um, because somebody gets a text uh, with a, some type of update and they respond and they ask questions. Um, so that's that's been really good to, to just, yeah, just to communicate with our customers on what's going on and, and an open communication for them to send us messages and ask questions. Um and it, and it goes both ways. Uh, you know, when so, we don't always get all the emails. <clears throat> um, uh, you know, somebody sends us an email and I check my junk mail religiously, but, but still there's emails that I just don't get. I don't know what the hell happens to emails, but uh, with text messaging, it's a lot more of a surefire uh, communication method. So, um, so it's been great in that sense. Now, when you were in the newsletter, were you running the one that's included, like the free one that's on your website or a paid one? It's a paid one. Uh, so we use MailChimp. Um, and yeah, we 
pay a lot for it actually every month. Um, and, and in general, it's a good newsletter uh, and we like the service, um, but uh, it just seems, you know, typically uh, open rates are, are kind of, kind of low. Yeah. Cause I had that issue of mine and then I realized quickly that cause I, my website came with a newsletter um, and I had about 40% openings until I realized um, one of the benefits of the paid version was I didn't need the, the, the amount the paid one gave you because uh, the free one was up to like 2,500 subscriptions. Uh, then I realized a lot of those are doubles and some of these people sign up to the newsletter four or five times. Right. So they'll get the email four or five times and then you go there and spam. And I realized, oh, so I got the paid one and I got rid of all the, du- the doubles and it was about 20% were doubles. Uh, and at that point, my opening rate went up to about 70, 75%. Um, I just wondering if you were using a paid one or not. Yeah, and it it seemed when I had a lot less people on the list, my open rate was way better. Um, but now we're at, I think on the deadlock on the OTF newsletter, we're almost at seven thousand. Wow. Um, and uh, and yeah, I I don't remember the last open rate, but it's it's close to fifty percent. You know, I would have to I would have to guess just because. And you know it makes sense with what you were saying as far as the amount of people opening it was a lot more when there were less of them. Um, I wonder, it'd be hard to tell exactly, but I'm going to guess that a fair amount of your customers are, we'll say 50-50. 50% of them are completely diehard Hawk fans looking to get a deadlock at any cost. And I would guess, again, just from the top of my head, that the other 50% are people who are super diehard fans for a few months until they realize it's really hard to get. And then, then they might still be really interested. And then that might be your lower open rate. I mean, I know I, I do talk to a lot of people about your knives and about knives in general. And I think some people will get really into something and they want to get it until they realize it's like kind of hard to get at which point they might tune out for a little while. I mean, is that, yeah, is that unreasonable? Is it, you think that's what you're dealing with a little bit? Um, it could be, I, I think that, um, you know, I get people that unsubscribe, of course. Mm. Um, so I would think that, and and I get emails from people right after drops generally, uh, where they'll say, I've been trying for three years to get a knife and this sold out in, you know, uh, 10 minutes or whatever it was. And this is just ridiculous. And I'm unsubscribing. Right. Uh, so I think a lot of those people just get frustrated, and then and then if they keep getting updates and emails, it just frustrates them more, and they are probably <laughs> more apt to just unsubscribe. Yeah, right. um, yeah. I'm not really sure what it is. You know, a couple of times I've uh, I've there's, Mailchimp has a feature where you can resend something to those that didn't open it. Um, and we did that a couple of times and then had about the same open rate. So, you know, 50% of them didn't open it. So then I send it, resend it to them and 50% of those people opened it. And so I, I don't know. It's, it's strange. I don't understand what's, what's fully going on there. Um, I can see how some newsletters would get really low open rates because, uh, you know, they just don't care anymore, but, for people that want a deadlock, like they're on the list because they want to buy the deadlock. Uh, you know, that it's not like I farmed these people or I bought, uh, you know, a list of emails. These are, 
they have to go to the website and they have to click the link and sign up. So I don't know. I just think a lot of it is they just don't get it. Um, and I know that some email systems uh, have spam filters that don't even allow you to really look at your, your spam box. Um, I think Gmail is pretty bad about that. Uh, I don't actually have Gmail, so I kind of making this up a little bit, but uh, from what I've heard is there's settings in your Gmail account that just goes to a black hole. And unless you're, uh, unless you unlock it so that you have them going into an actual spam filter, you don't even see them. They're just not even there. So that's true. I've uh, had issues with that in the past. Yeah. So I think my damn account was just like stopped and like, I couldn't even get any emails for a while. Right. So I think it's stuff like that. That's causing it, but, um, but I don't really know. Well, it's funny with the disconnect with people, like, um, not understanding that like you guys are making the knives, like they put the deposit and they're like, where's my knife? Um, right. That, that line of thinking allows me to think that that person might not be entirely familiar with how, this process works like we're also used to it so it seems simple it's like that's obviously but to someone who just you know woke up and and read an article or saw a video about the knife you know they might think it would be a little more i don't know like straightforward like click buy that's it right yeah and i'm kind of surprised you know we put a lot of detail in the emails and uh yeah some people just don't read the emails they just they go right to that buy now button and uh they just want to get it as quick as possible and they just don't get any information so we've been purposely sending out an email ahead of time that has all the information with no links and then and then we follow up with an email with a link and very little information um but and and you know i say that but you know i'd say 95 percent of the people are great uh they they send almost apologetic emails like sorry to bother you i just was really curious where i'm at on the list um stuff like that so it's still kind of rare but you know they just it's one of those things that uh puts a damper on your day yeah exactly yeah no i'm in the same boat with that i started doing the same thing where about three days early i'll release all the information for the pre-order all the options all the pricing I used to have drop down boxes and you have to choose everything, but it's six drop down boxes for handle, blade, hardware, and eyes, whatever. People rush through it and about 20% of the orders every time I take, I'd have to manually track them after and I'll do the updates manually and then something always gets missed. Um, I started doing that and I was like, look, it's just to cop- copy this, fill it out, and then whenever you're ready to order, when it goes live, just paste it and go. If you don't paste it and you just, you just fill it out and blank, you forfeit your order. Like I, I started again that my deposits are only 50, 60 bucks, but so my deposits are not refundable within the time frame that I said the knives will go out after that point to refundable. Cause I'm like, the whole point of the deposit is it helps you build a knife. Like if the if deposits were refundable, there was no point to take them. Yeah, it's logical. Yeah. If I say it'll be out like in four weeks and up to three months and what it's 35 months in, like if you need your deposit back, I'll give it to you after that time. Right. All right, so a little bit about the process of getting a deadlock. Um, I have a question about a post I saw on Instagram about testing a deadlock. I wanted to ask about the uh, very inspired contraption that you guys posted a few months ago. Um, 
where it was testing the cycles of a deadlock. Yeah, you want to take that one? Well, and so I, I'm not exactly sure. Of what, I he's guess t- he's talking about the. Uh, I know, but what the question well, is? Grant, I just wanted to I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about it. I've actually seen a couple of these machines from different people, but I have to say that that one was the most intriguing. It seemed to have some sort of oh. magnetic uh, system where it it. Uh, Registered the blade as open or closed. I, I just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about it. How, how'd you come well, up with and that? So there's, yeah, well, uh, uh, I don't know where things come from, I guess, but <laughs> uh, but essentially it it counts it in two different ways. Uh, one of them is a mechanical counter, uh, which uh, counts every time that it tries to open, and then the other is. Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, what is that? It's like an electric eye or something that that says how many times it actually opened. So if those two numbers don't jive, then it must mean that it missed the beat somewhere. Uh, so we keep track of it with uh, in two different ledgers. They usually run pretty close together, but it gives us an idea if we're having a misfire here and there. Uh, Anyway, uh, so I, I don't know wh- how we came up with it. We just started with the knife and a way to open and close it, and then a way to monitor uh, uh, the successes and the failures. Okay, and and remind me if that's uh, allowed. How many cycles did you guys get up to on the most on the most recent um, mech redesign? Well, maybe I have to ask Gavin. So, what did we do? I forgot. I wrote it down somewhere, uh, and I I kind of just was satisfied. Uh, and so, I think we were at eighty thousand cycles, um, and right. uh, and it, everything was fine and working good. And uh, I had tested what I was trying to test. Um, we had some small little defugalties and a little bit of re-engineering that we had to do. And so uh, I just wanted to make sure we were getting past a certain point. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's a serious, uh, even if that's relatively off by uh, 10,000 or so, that's still much higher than uh, the standard quote for cycle rate. Um, so that's great. That's excellent. What is the standard quote for... I don't know if I could really... It's it's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I want to hear the standard. Yeah, Yeah, I just want to know know exactly what number it is. Normally the answer (laughs) I get is somewhere around like 30 to 50 is kind of where... Like if it reaches that, then it's like, okay, that's that's pretty good. Um, I haven't talked to Josh at Piranha in a while, but I know that he was... He was also in that neighborhood, and I would I would consider that shop to be similarly sized to yours. I, I don't know if you're familiar with him or not, but um, but he was I think he yeah, he we, was we running know we know him. like in that neighborhood uh, a while back, um, and that would be the only person that I could really yeah I don't know anybody else who makes OTFs, so that that would be that would be it <laughs> um so okay so testing testing the knife uh has developed along with manufacturing the knife um 
What about finishing the knife? Um, how how's that looking? Are you guys thinking about offering um, the same finishes, different finishes for the new batch? Are you happy with the finishes you have? Um, yeah. So on finishes, we're uh, we're going to have a couple of the old uh, options uh, and a couple of new options, uh, but less options. So last time I had carbon fiber overlays, marbled overlays, and titanium overlays. And that was one of the things that kind of made it difficult and screwed things up for us was, uh, you know, waiting for the titanium to get here and then, uh, and then not getting all the titanium and then tearing the setup down and starting to make carbon fiber and then running out of carbon fiber and going back to doing some titanium. And then, and then the marbled carbon fiber showed up, so we started making making that. And so, um, so this time we're going to stick with one overlay option to start, um, and maybe not even take as many orders. Uh, take orders for maybe three months instead of the six months that we did last time, uh, and and just do carbon fiber. Um, and then once we're done with this batch, then. The next batch will be all titanium, uh, or or marbled, or or whatever it is. But but adding the three options of overlays, it just it just adds a lot of options because you add that on top of you know single or double edge blades, um, the blasted hardware, tumbled hardware, heat colored hardware. and then adding three more options, it just magnifies everything every time you do that. So that's one of the lessons we kind of learned from this last batch is a little less options. Okay. So options are good, but um, good to trim them down. So you can kind of streamline the process just for doing one material. Correct. At and then all at one time in one batch. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, and then one thing we're going to start doing, we've done a lot of experimenting with uh, doing solid colors with, with uh, heat coloring. Uh, so generally we do uh, a torched, a flamed heat color, uh, which gives you, you know, all sorts of different colors. Um, I don't personally like electro anodizing things uh, unless it's in an inlay or it's a line or it's, it's a place that you can't really rub on it uh, because the electro anodizing just wears off so quickly compared to the heat colored anodizing. Um so we ran a, a bunch of experiments and we can get a really nice blue um, that by putting it in the oven and certain time and temperature um, that looks really nice. And we can also do a really good bronze. So we're going to introduce some color schemes like that. Um, and we're probably going to introduce some DLC stuff. Um, DLC is always tricky because you have to, you know, you have to wait three to four weeks for the DLC to come back. Um, and so we just have to get our scheduling uh, all ready so that we can, you know, be a month ahead of time and have it in stock. But so, yeah. So anyways, carbon fiber, new heat colored options and a little bit of DLC. Hmm. Now, as far as blade finishes go, we're still looking at um, uh, blasted tumbled and DLC. So no satins, satins. <laughs> uh no no satins this time right. I, uh, I mean it's possible <laughs> yeah we might do a couple 
I just, yeah. Okay. All right. No. Um, <laughs> okay. We get asked that yeah, a lot. Yeah. So it's <laughs> everybody wants a satin or a, or a polished finish. And well, so yeah. So that yeah. I had just watched um, Surge's drop of the um, stash boxes, and I and I DM'd him because um, the little skull he did reminded me of a, a custom deadlock that you guys did. Is yeah. that are custom deadlocks like? I'm, I know you get questions, so I mean, I'm just going to ask you, like, what's the deal? Like, is that ever a thing again, or are we just looking at the sort of... I mean, they're all custom, obviously, but you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, something really special. Like, we got some from you before with, um, like, Damascus and all kinds of craziness. Um, yeah, and and we'd like to do more of that, and, you know, with different engravings and Damascus and sending them out to Surge and having him do some exotic ones. Um, and you know, we just posted the surge version on our Instagram, uh, a couple days ago and it got a ton of views, a lot of comments. Um, the, the problem with it is like right now, uh, you know, we've got a bunch of equipment and a bunch of employees. And so I, I've turned more into a manager than a knife maker in a lot of ways. And so, um, to do the really nice exotic stuff ends up taking a lot of my time. Um, and so, uh, I do want to do them on small little runs. Uh, but, but it just kind of pulls me away from doing my other duties and it, and it slows down production. Um, so when I can figure out a good way to balance that or, or as my employees get more familiar with the process so that they need me less then then I can focus on doing some exotic stuff. Right on. Yeah, that that makes total sense. You know, I I've got to ask because yeah, that that surge post, and then I, I remembered seeing the Damascus ones. Those are awesome. Uh, a question about blade styles. Do you for this last batch, you did single and double, but I know that I've, you've got to be doing more double than single, or is it really? Yes, it's it's worth it to offer both or. I mean, uh, it is, and it's not that big of a deal to, you know, grind a single or a double as far as, you know, once you're set up to grind, uh, doubles, then you grind a bunch of doubles and then change to a single. It's, it's really not too big of a deal. Um, I would say the ratio is probably 20% single and 80% double. Um, but there's a lot of States where guys can't have a double edge. Mm. Um, and so I, they get a single edge just because they can't get a double. Um, and so I know that if I cut that out, I would get a lot of emails from people that, you know, I'd love to have a deadlock, but I can't because I live in this state. Right. Better to just offer it even at 20%, just so you don't have to deal with people asking. Yeah. (laughs) And it, and it makes people happy. So right, right. All those people in Texas who can't have double edges, and maybe Michigan, I think. <laughs> maybe. I can't remember what states it is at the moment. I, I know uh, Texas is one of them. I don't remember if Michigan is or isn't. Um, it's all the lame ones. Yeah. Don't worry, Massachusetts is safe. Well, yeah, you can't actually. On the books, I think you can have a one-inch auto. But I don't know that anyone makes that. Oh, so, not really an issue. Uh, 
Yeah. All right. But well, anyway, so DLC is great, though. I'm sure that will get people extremely excited. I'd love a deadlock to match my my mud. That'd be cool. Um, all black. Everything is always yeah. popular. Yeah. DLC is great. Um, so we've uh, uh, we've got some mock ups of what we're going to be doing. So I have some DLC in stock that we can take pictures of of uh, the new options and uh you know, I really like the, you know, we put one together that was, that's all black, but it has like a, um, a blue anodized button and inlay, uh, and screws and, uh, that looks really nice. Hmm. So, okay. So there, there should be a fun, a couple of fun, uh, options this next batch. Nice. Um, any time frame on that just in the future fall <laughs> spring uh no pretty close uh pretty soon okay. uh like i said we're about 50 left in this batch uh so i don't know we we're already a little behind as far as like taking pictures and getting everything prepped so we'll probably start at least preparing for the drop next week as far as getting all of our information together. Uh, so anywhere in the next two to four weeks. Okay. Wow. That's actually, that is relatively soon. Uh, that's very, yeah. very soon actually considering that would have been basically just before blade show. Um, if right. It happened, which it's not going to. Mm, I mean, it's happening, right? But, it's just not uh, where it normally happens. And we're, we haven't talked about it recently, but we're not so sure we're going yet. I don't know. We're going to agonize over it. Let's talk about it now. Yeah. So <laughs> it, uh, I'm assuming you guys are going. Uh, <laughs> probably. <laughs> well, <laughs> Elijah's, Elijah's like, whatever. Elijah's, yeah, me, I'm like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I'll decide two days before. If I decide to, uh, most likely what's gonna happen is like three days before Jeremiah's gonna call me. He's like, "You gonna go? You wanna rent the car?" And then we'll just drive down last night. Yeah, that's that's most likely what will happen. I, I don't really, I don't at this moment, I couldn't say yes or no, only because it's it seems so far away considering where we are now, without getting into it too deep. Then, so I don't know. Then USN's nine days later. Yeah, I want to go to USN. Hopefully that happens. Is it really yeah, nine days later? Yes, sh- I knew it was close. The show schedule is incredibly jammed. It's pretty crazy. It's about 20 days yeah. apart. Okay. okay. Isn't it nine based on Jeremiah's list? If, if, you check the, if you check the list I posted, yeah, it's it's not. It's too close. TCAC is five days. Because you guys. You the only one that yeah. goes. Well, but Gavin, you do, well, you do Blade and USN, right? Those are your two shows. That's right. Yeah. So if you did go to Blade this year, would you go to USN or would you just choose one? Uh, that's a good question. I'd, I I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think it's just pretty easy for that's us. Sparing. Blade yeah. takes some planning. And it's also pretty yeah. fun. Yeah. I, I mean, I enjoy them both. And, and Blade's always a good show and USN's always good. The thing about Blade is... I bought, you know, hotel rooms already. Uh, and I think I have like, uh, if I cancel them 30 days before, then I get my our money back. 
So that's kind of what I've been waiting for is to wait until Blade is 30 days away and then decide and then, okay. decide whether See, or not thing, I'm going to keep my... The thing yeah. what you do here is, Gavin, is you use a burner card and that way you don't ever <laughs> get charged. And it works so great for you in, in, in California. <laughs> that was not a hotel. That was a limo. That was different. <laughs> they don't work on limos. Look, it's circumstantial, all right? Yeah. It's just... It's... Unless you can outrun the driver, right? Okay, sure, sure. Yeah. So I don't know. At this exact moment, I haven't been planning for Blade. I don't have any knives. Um, three or four months ago, we were starting to put like a couple of knives to the side so that we had had something for Blade, and then, of course, the whole world collapsed, and we just sold those knives and and quit thinking about it. So, if I go, I've got to build up inventory to to make it so that's that's probably the bigger problem is just having any inventory to go right okay well that's that makes total sense you know it's uh i think it's it's seems so far in the future now so i think a lot of people who are attending and have tables are just sort of putting off the decision perpetually until they can't put the decision off any further and then it's like okay well gotta do something about this problem here yeah, and the other thing is uh, I'm concerned about how many makers are going to show up and how many customers are going to be there. Uh, I mean, there's on one hand, there's if there's less makers, well, then you'd have you know more customers, theoretically, but, mm-hmm. but not if the customers don't want to come because there's not enough knife makers. <laughs> so... What's the competition really? I don't know. That's a tough one. Yeah. So I mean, just from a perspective of you know, as someone who just goes to really to just buy, I mean, it's somewhat relative. But as a as a person who's not a dealer, it seems like a crazy time to go and 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 blow money on knives. And I don't, I don't, right. I don't want to start playing the stock market here with with Blade Show and put out any bad vibes, but. I just I don't see a lot of other people being like now's a great time to go buy a thousand dollar knife like no I don't you know wife or no wife I don't think that anyone can convince themselves that's a good idea but maybe things will be totally different by then I don't know yeah I haven't really seen on our end I haven't seen a decline in uh, sales uh, of course you know we've already had deposits but uh, sending out invoices for the remaining balance. Uh, I'd say 90% of the people, uh, well, let me back up. We actually sent out an email to everybody that's left on the list asking them, uh, okay, are you, are you anxious and ready to pay? Do you want to be sent an invoice so that you can make payments over time? Or do you want us to wait until you're the very end of the batch and send you an invoice? And yeah, ninety percent of the people said uh, they want to pay right now if they could. Um, I had just a couple of people that wanted to make payments on their invoice, so we sent them the invoice, and then they paid it in full, uh, which was not quite what we were going for, <laughs> but uh, it was fine. It worked out, and then uh, there was just like, maybe two people that wrote and, and said they'd like to be, you know, the very last. And, uh, but, uh, other than that, everybody seems super anxious to get, you know, get a deadlock. Uh, we've had people reach out 
uh, and say, hey, we know that times are tough. Has anybody dropped off the list? We'd love to get on it. We want to buy a knife. Can we take their place? Uh, so... So anyways, that's that's what we've been experiencing. And and, you know, if we do this drop in three or four weeks, that'll be telling to see, you know, how quick things sell out in that direction. So when you say when you when you're talking about a drop, um, I know previously your last drop, you had a certain amount of spots that you opened. And now you're talking about streamlining the process to do maybe just carbon fiber, just titanium. So, you know we're talking about probably a lot less spots that you're going to open the list up for then. That's right. Yeah. Okay. All right. I haven't come up with a number yet. Um, is that a scientific <laughs> process still... or is it just kind of, is it just like, <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah. It's very methodical. <laughs> we, we take everything into account. <laughs> we have a dartboard. Yeah. Here. I was going to say, I have a dartboard in my shop. Yeah. Whatever I lands on is the wrong number. <laughs> yeah. That seems doable. <laughs> And, and a lot of it depends on where we're at in three weeks as far as, uh, like I said, we're already making parts for that batch. Mm. Um, and uh, and so I'll probably, yeah, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know. Cool. I like putting things off to the last possible moment. Well, so far so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. You know, without without getting too far into it, though, uh, I know you you guys had said. I mean, you're you know you're in a bubble in a couple of ways. You you know you're lucky enough to have a product that is you know undeniably in demand, and then you also have you know your location. So you have these two bubbles working on your side. You're so you're you're in a place that is relatively unaffected by our current you know environment. And, uh, and, and your product is in demand, so you can continue to make stuff, uh, which is, it sounds like it's a good and a bad thing, just as you, you don't know what to do next because you're not sure what everyone's going to want or what everyone's going to react to. Thankfully, sales are strong, so you're good. Yeah, and, I, and it seems like sales are going to keep going strong for us. Um, so, yeah, I, I think everything's going to be great and... And, you know, as you and I have talked before, yeah, we've got like a little commune here. We, we, we've got a, a trailer park that we own and uh, most of the people that work for us live in the park. Right. Um, and we're all pretending we're working from home. Um, and so, which I mean, we literally are. So, uh, yeah, we just kept working through the pandemic and uh, didn't even skip a beat. So... Which, you know, which is, which is yeah. great because you're right. So you don't have a lot of people coming and going from your compound. There's just the same people every day doing the same thing. So, I mean, that is, that's kind of ideal. You you don't have any outsiders carrying anything or, you know, people you're unsure of their, their social circles. That's right. The UPS driver is the only company we have. Oh, yeah. yeah. We get yeah, and then you guys get Amazon out there. So I know you said you're you're totally stocked up. I mean, there's there's no supply problems yeah. as far as you know human needs. Correct. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, our life really hasn't changed that much. Uh, you know, I I don't make it to Boise but once a month, um, and so yeah, here in town they've essentially opened everything up. Um, in our little corner of the world, everything's just been 
the same. Have you been finding issues sourcing? Like, I, I get a lot of my five flute and finisher animals from Shars. Shars has been shut down for almost a month. Yeah, and we don't buy a lot of. I use. We don't buy a lot of Chinese crap in mills, so. Well, Shars animals are USA made stuff. <laughs> oh, are they? I thought Shars was making a lot of stuff in, in China. No, they, 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 uh, Shars is like business model last year changed a lot. All the carbide stuff is USA made and some other stuff. Um, they're like the only guys that I really know that make a five flute eighth inch end mill that's stub length that I like. I order those by the 50. And I go through a lot of those. Everything I run almost uses those. Um, and I actually like their 316 five flute finishers more than the other ones that I use. Um, you'd be surprised. The pricing, some of it's better, some of it's not. They use the quality cutter. Um, and two other manufacturers that I are mills from, they're also closed. I was surprised since manufacturers are staying open and you would think that they need them. Yeah, I haven't really uh, had a problem with it, actually. Um, like I'm, work, I'm running three production jobs now, and like I'm like low on all my end mills, and I have to figure out to like find different suppliers for certain custom stuff, uh, like odd uh, sizes that I use. Yeah, uh, that's strange. I've been using like Gar and Micro 100, um, stuff like that, and yeah, I haven't had any issues getting end mills. Mm-hmm. No, those manufacturers are usually going. But a lot of the ones that carry like varieties, I've been having issues sourcing some of it. Hmm. So just the just the tooling to even make the thing. Yeah, and some of it's like I don't know if they had an outbreak in the company, and that's why they have to shut down. Because you normally like manufacturers are open, so suppliers need to be open too to keep them fed. Hmm. Uh, so I had to for all the standard stuff you could find that like some of the odd animals I use. It's like a three sixteenths end mill instead of a corner radius at the end. It's a chamfer, right. stuff like that. Like I kind of have to find other sources for because that's not an easy end mill to hmm. find. You know that also reminds me, um, Gavin. Nick and I were talking about this the other day about um, proper steels for DLC, and I know that um, my mud has twenty CV on it. Was that? Were you going to do that for the the deadlocks? What steel were you going to use? Do you have an idea what steel you were going to use for the new batch? Uh, yeah, I was going to stick with 20 CV. Okay. Um, and so I guess it's some of the lower grade steels have a problem with it, right? Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, because like uh, DLC has a, a cure temperature of like 600 degrees. Right. So like any any like ABL has a temper at 350, a lot like 154 CM. A lot of these manufacturers are doing DLC finishes on like 154. There's a drop in at least two or three Rockwell points if you do that. Like I'm doing a DLC batch of something right now, and I just ordered three V three V for it because it has a temper of a thousand degrees. I actually might do a, t- uh, a titanium nitride finishes on it, like end mill finishes. I might sharpen the knife, finish it, sharpen it, and then send it out so the edge, the initial edge, has the coating on it. And so, what's the temper on twenty CV? Uh, I, I I don't know. I don't, I don't work with it. You tell me that. Oh, oh, I don't. I send it to Peter's Heat Treat. <laughs> they. Uh, <laughs> I don't. Uh, I'll, I'm curious yeah. right now. Actually, I'll Google it. But the closer you are to that temperature, less points you're dropping. But like 154 CM and ABL, they have tempers of like 325. So you're almost passing double on that. Yeah, right. So yeah, that blade just turns to spaghetti after the DLC. Oh, boy. Won't be able to cut anything. <laughs> no, it looks the same, but you're, you're dr- that big of a difference. You're dropping a couple points. Yeah, no, I just. Yeah. Yeah, 
talking to talking to talking to customers about the differences in steels and and uh, wear resistance. It's like, just well, you look at Spyderco; they're using S30V, and that's fine because S30V has about temper of about 600, 650. Yeah. So 20 CV is also on the lower end, depending on how they're doing it. Because like if they're doing a high quench on it, you can temper it out at about. See, it depends because you, you could temper it at about 400. I mean, quench, uh, temper it at about 400, but you could also temper it at about a thousand. So there's two methods for it. Usually, those high tempers, if they're optional uh, here, tend to rust uh, are more likely to rust. But again, if you're DLC coding it, it doesn't really matter. Hmm. Uh, M390 has a, it's a, it's a lower temper than I thought. I, I would think it would have a higher temper because the quench. I mean, the quench temperature and heat treat temperature if it's over two thousand degrees. Hmm. Well, I remember when I was doing you know setting up all the DLC stuff. I uh, I was telling them what steels I was using, um, and they told me it was okay, but. Uh, I might uh, double check that. Well, if you look at the, the heat treat chart, uh, there's ways to, t- to heat treat it to do a higher temper. Uh, so, you, for example, if you're um, doing ass quench for 2150 plus cryo, it's a really high heat treat. But at that point, you, you could go to a higher temper and get the higher rock walls out of it. So you could, depending on the re- uh, heat treat recipe you follow, if you're not going to DLC them, you could go into a little bit of a higher scale for it. Um, but I look into it. It's just a pet peeve I've always had. Like I look at companies that like be DLCing steels that like, and I've talked to one company in particular about it, and they're like, uh, "Yeah, it doesn't affect it." Like, then the other employee at the company is like, "Yeah, I've talked to my boss about it." And I'm like, "Okay, okay." So, <laughs> so the, like, it sounds like okay. Like you guys are just kind of ignoring it. It's cool. I mean, I think it's it might be one of those things where it's uh, uh, chain of command pay grade issue. I don't know. But it, I know that we, we, I think it just falls into that. Like uh, no one uses these things. Okay, anymore, well, right? yeah, that's also a possibility. Sure, <laughs> it'll still stay hard enough to where it'll function as a folder. Like if it's sixty-one, it'll probably drop down to like fifty-eight, fifty-seven. Right. So it'll still function mechanically, but like it's like oh, these guys aren't going to cut anything. With uh, anyway. That's that's my favorite argument. Yeah. Is the beginning of the email is this is not the blade seal I want, even though I'm never going to use this knife. And I'm like, well, okay, why are we doing this? Like, why are we doing yeah. this? Well, and I'll reach out to Peter's Heat Treat and see how the, what they're doing, and and then tell them that I'm going to be DLC coding them. So, but yeah, like Ty Allen, like the that the one you see on your animals, the blue one, it's like Ty Allen or Ty whatever it is. That one's like a thousand, and I haven't really seen anyone coat knives with that. So I'm specifically doing a batch right now to coat my knives in that. And I don't know how it'll affect the edge, uh, if it'll be better or worse or what. Not, but it, it should be better if you're cutting things like cardboard that are abrasive. But I'm gonna, like I said, I'm gonna try to sharpen them first and then send them out to the initial sharpening has the coating mm. on it. Yeah, of course it won't I've be really as as sharp. It'll last longer, but it won't be as sharp. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know how how it affects the edge if it adds any thickness to it or not. I'd probably sharpen those instead of my thousand degree. I mean, a thousand grit and then polish. I'll probably go like a four hundred and then polish or something toothier. Mm-hmm. Uh, to where like the coating won't smoothen it out, but actually they maybe improve the toothiness. I don't know. It's all it's all theoretical until I do it. So I'm in, I'm in the process of machining those those blanks at the moment. Hmm. 
I didn't know that you were going to do um, Thailand on those. The only thing, the only time I've seen that is uh, I was going to do a DLC when I mentioned it to you, and I was like, oh wait, I could. It's in that temperature field, but I could. Mike do it. at uh, Tai uh, Two Designs in Hawaii. He's done some flashlights, and he, I think he ran the gamut of coatings. But I think those were all titanium. In any case, um, another question I had about uh, deadlocks, you know, believe it or not, um, <laughs> we had talked a little bit about um, packaging in the past. Um, <laughs> is that gotta bring up well, packaging? You know, huh? <laughs> yeah, I'm we're, curious. we're, we're on to a new batch, so I was just I was just probing to see, you know. If it's, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to get all, all the gossip I can out of this, this new batch thing. Um, have they been coming in like a paper bag? Have you ever gotten yeah, a knife from almost. Gavin? No? Okay. <laughs> Interestingly enough, they come in a leather bag, but you know, that's okay. Oh, I did. They, they, they came in that leather bag with a bead. I had the beetle. Yeah, yeah. That's, oh, yeah. yeah that's there you right. go. Which is a great uh, leather bag, I don't know. by the way, but... Yes, thank you. Um, you know, we've come a long ways. We, we, we've made the leather bag yeah, longer. The leather bag is bigger. We've, uh, we used to send them in uh, little sample bags. Um, so if you see some of our really old knives come up, like a, a dog or a toad, sometimes people will have the original sample bag that we sent them in. Um, and so anybody that's not familiar with a sample bag, it's kind of like a... It's not Trivec, but it's it's like a cloth. Yeah, I'm not sure just how they make it, but it's made for sampling mineral deposits. Until hmm. uh, so we buy them from a company that deals in mining supplies. Oh, okay. And I used to use them in prospecting and geochem sampling and uh, different things like that. But and so that's what they were. They were just kind of a treated. Not exactly canvas, but something like that uh, with a drawstring. And then they had like a yellow label on them. And so we would, you know, write the date and the knife and uh, some, I don't know, some type of brief description of the knife and then throw it in a bag and, and sell it that way. So very then, McMaster-esque. Yeah, kind of. And then, uh, and then we started doing the leather bags and yeah, we've, we've talked about getting more of a presentation box and getting fancy and uh, doing something like that. But it's, I don't know, it just takes so much time and effort to do that. And most people just throw that stuff away. So it's, uh, it's been tough to put our focus on that, but as we get bigger and as we do more runs, um, I think it'll be something that's uh, more expected of us. Uh, but right now we've been getting away with it because people just want a knife and uh, I don't think they really want to wait around for us to make boxes. <laughs> I think they would just rather have the knife. So that's kind of where we're at. Um, but maybe at some point there'll be a nice fancy All box. Right. That's that's fair. Uh, last last podcast we talked about uh, we talked about merchandise of, of all or any kind. Um. Okay. Just, oh. Yeah. <laughs> We're about the same place on that, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, okay. I, I should have listened to that last podcast again so I could tell you the exact same thing. Uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. You know, it's good to ask. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, we want to. We keep thinking about it, and then yeah, it's just a uh, it's a low priority right now. Merchandise, but I mean, I got. I think I got um, a a mouse pad when I got my when I got my mud. 
Um, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not everybody. Stick. Not everybody gets one okay, of those. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, we okay. did the, right. the chopstick chapstick. Um, and uh, and essentially the chapstick just fell into our lap because uh, a friend of mine started raising bees and then uh, they were making products with that. Uh, and then she just came over one day with a mock-up of chapstick with our logo on it. And I was like, cool, sure. Let's I'll, I'll take a hundred of them. Nice. And we took it to a, a knife show and gave them away. And I think we were out in the first 30 minutes or something. Like they just went crazy. Um, and not only that, every knife show, people ask us if we still have chapstick. It's actually pretty good chapstick. Um, I got some chapstick. Yeah. So, and I have mm-hmm. people that will come a year later and they have the same tube of chapstick in their pocket. It does. And it's an, it's a rather inventive yeah. giveaway in an industry of, you know, stickers and like sharp things. It's like, oh, chapstick, it's practical. So, right. yeah. So that just kind of fell into our lap. Um, we do need to get on the uh, the merchandise shirts and things like that. Uh, the mouse pads, I kind of stole that from Serge uh, because at a knife show, he would he'll put his knives on mouse pads, and uh, it just looked really cool. So we started doing that as well, uh, and then. We just give them away at the show, or if we have a couple extra, I send them to people that we really, really like. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, so, so yeah. Um, but eventually, yeah, we should probably even put the mouse pad on the site and all that stuff. But it's just, again, you know, the focus has just been on how do we get deadlocks out every week? Right. Which, to be fair, is actually probably exactly what you should be doing in all ways, shapes, and form. You know, that's people are out there, you know, connected or disconnected from the process, understanding or not understanding how this works. But, you know, you guys are there every day building knives and perfecting this whole process of getting deadlocks um, into the customer's hands. So, I mean, that's kind of, that's the deal. That's what's supposed to be happening. And, and, you know, like I said, even, you know, once we get uh, everything kind of evened out um all of our processes working really well employees know what to do then that'll kind of free up some of my time so i can make fancier knives i can get all the merchandise stuff lined out um but we're we're still in transition uh going from r&d to production uh so we're we're in that in-between area right now i gotcha i gotcha um so, I mean, you keep bringing up, and I have to ask, because you keep bringing up the employees. I know you got the new machines. You have a compound. Um, do you feel like releasing any details on that? I mean, like, how many armed guards do you have up there exactly? Uh, <laughs> well, I can't tell you how many armed guards sure, we have, no, I but uh, I think we've got seven or eight employees. Wow. Okay. Uh, something like that. And we're actually in the process of hiring again. Um, so we're looking to add at least one, maybe two more people. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so, I mean, that's an exponential expansion. That's like, that's pretty serious. Like three machines and two new employees. Like you guys are up and up and cranking over there. It's quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so production. 
exactly. So keeping all that straight, like I said, it's kind of a new thing on us, um, but uh, it's been it's been going pretty well so far. All right. And you know, you and I talked about this, but I do want to ask you on the cast if there was one part of the process that you're outsourcing for the deadlock. What would that be that you could insource? It could, anything, you know, money, capital, machines, people. What would be the one thing that you would say, this is the thing that I would bring in-house right now? Uh, well, I'd say machines. Uh, and so probably a water jet is what we need next. Um, I actually just recently, we've started from the beginning of this year, we've started itemizing our invoices for outside services just to kind of give us a better idea of how much we're spending on EDM and water jet and lathe parts and, uh, and, and stuff like laser. And, um, and so then we'll make a little bit better decision on exactly what we need to bring in house. But, um, just every time you bring something in house, it, makes everything smoother and easier and uh, you can hit timelines better uh it just sucks being beholden to another company uh waiting for them to get around to it so the more we can bring in the better uh the only problem i have right now is like if i went and bought a water jet tomorrow i gotta hire somebody to run it and uh hiring hasn't been that easy uh you know, we're in a smaller town, so uh, I don't have a very big pool to draw on locally. So I've got to bring somebody in from Boise, which is about 45 minutes or so from us. Um, so that's that's been a little tricky getting, you know, the exact person we want. Um, and even though the whole world shut down, so many people are on unemployment uh, and they're getting big unemployment checks. A lot of people are getting bigger checks than they get as a, a their regular job. So uh, it's not like everybody's out trying to find a job. So that's been tricky. Yeah, everyone's been complaining about being out of work. I'm like, look, like everyone's on employment getting more money. Like the only ones that are shit out of work are like business owners because we don't get anything. Technically you do. I mean, they, they change the rules so that you can file for unemployment. Um, but still, oh, yeah. the, the people that are, yeah, right. And, but the people that are looking for jobs are ones that didn't have a job beforehand or they didn't have their job long enough to apply or uh, qualify for unemployment benefits. Yeah. Well, what you were saying about outsourcing, that was the same thing with me. I kind of got really frustrated with outsourcing unreliable water jetters, unreliable lists, uh, heat treaters. Oh, sorry. It's blade shell season. It's going to take three months. I'm like, what the hell? And all of a sudden, there's more knife makers out there now. So then you start using guys that like aren't blade specific. Uh, you finally get guys that are good enough to do it. Uh, but no one knows about them in the knife industry. Eventually, people start finding out about them in the knife industry. And then they have the same blade show weights or USN weights. I'm like, I haven't outsourced heat treating in about two years. And right now I'm doing the first batch of outsourcing again. At this point, I only outsource water jetting. And I don't even water jet steel anymore. Every time I go pick up steel for my water jetter, because he sells steel as well. He's like, oh, so am I going to cut those? I'm like, no, I'll send you some titanium at some point. Like I only water jet titanium now. And then next thing is to get a surface grinder to stop, stop outsourcing that. Is there any part of the deadlock? Or let me rephrase that. 
is there any machine that you don't need to make the deadlock? Like you said, lathe, laser. <laughs> you said hot. I mean, coatings aside, do do you does that knife run the gamut as far as machines go? I mean, do you use all of the available technology in in our industry? Uh, no. So the first one that comes to mind is like a stamping machine. So I don't have any stamped okay. parts. Um, I don't have any printed parts. Um, we don't really use any like CNC routers, but that's, uh, I mean, I'm essentially pretending that our, our, uh, machining center is a, a CNC router for cutting, you know, the carbon fiber and stuff like that. But I could have somebody cut those on a, on a router. Um, yeah, that's, I guess that's. That's a tough question because there's a lot of specialized weird equipment out there that I could start naming. Sure. Okay. That uh, that doesn't really apply, but I think the other way to say it is the, the how you started the question was we're using lasers, water jet, um, machining centers, EDM machines, lathe uh, lathes, um, and I think that's. That's all that we're wow. using. Okay. So I mean, pretty much, yeah. That's to make to make we're that using easy a lot. Most. Yeah, that's right. That's crazy. What? So for the laser, what do you just mark the spine of the batch on the? No, uh, no. The laser we use um, actually just on one part these days, but one of the internal locking parts uh, in the blade, I call it the swivel. Um, that part is laser oh, cut. Okay. Um, mainly because it's uh, it's made out of four ten. Um, it's a thin part. It only needs a profile, and then I drill two holes in it. Um, so it's it's just the most cost effective way, um, other than trying to stamp it or fine blanket. Um, yeah, to make that part. I gotcha. All right. So, yeah, but still it's, I mean, it wasn't, you said machines and then you said water jetting, but water jetting continues to be the industry slowdown for, I mean, for you guys and for a lot of people, like it's just the damn water right. jetters. Like that's. Uh, They're not the most reliable people. Turmoil. Those machines aren't really <laughs> reliable. On the water jet. Gavin, I have a question. Is there any internal milling that happens on the carbon fiber? Yes. Oh, okay. I'm looking at the, the scale now, and there's a, almost two tools to the outside. I'm looking into picking up. They, they make those like the Chinese CNC routers, but they finally made a steel construction one that's meant to run coolant. I was gonna say, that'd be a great option if it's only one or two tools, but if there's internal milling, it makes things complicating. Yeah, I would. I don't know why they don't make those little CNCs with tool changers. Um, well, they're starting to now. So they made that steel mm-hmm. frame one that runs coolant. It's like twenty three hundred bucks. I want to get pick one of those up right now for fixed blade handles. Um, technically, they make tool changers for them now as well. You have to just rig them up yourself, and then you would have to buy one without a spindle, buy the ISO twenty version of the spindle, and then they make an attachment you could put on there for a 10 tool ISO and it might yeah. be a thing that I want to do eventually. Cause I'm tired of running carbon fiber and composite in my mill. Yeah. And then I think right now I'm using 17 tools to cut the overlays. 
Wow. Okay, that's not what I expected. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of tools in that. I don't, I don't know what's going that, on on the inside. The outside looks pretty simple. That's what I was like. Yeah, and a lot of that's because the tools wear out so quick. And so, um, like, just on the outside, I've, uh, you know, I go around it with two different chamfer tools, uh, a rough and a finish. Same thing with the profile. I rough and finish. Um, I actually cheat on the profile because I use uh, uh, just an offset. So I rough with the first section of the end mill and then I finish with the second section of the end mill. Um, and then, and then I've got to pocket it. So I use, you know, big end mill to pocket and then I come in with a little end mill and finish up the corners. And then I come in with a finish pot finish profile on the inlay. Um, because you cut carbon fiber is such a pain you get, uh, with a brand new end mill, you get like three or four parts and then it starts to get dull and it and then it'll wear in. It'll stay uh, fairly consistent for a while. And then all of a sudden you'll start dropping off and and uh, your dimensions will get all weird. Um, yeah, it's it's a people don't realize how hard it is to keep dimensional tolerances on composite. Yeah, it's not like on, on metal. You, you quickly start seeing the finish go dull and then, you know, OK, like the like it's definitely changing in tolerances and carbon fiber. Uh-oh. Hello? Nick, I think you might have accidentally hit the mute button. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, my okay. computer went on standby and hit mute. It's kind of okay. hard to visually see uh, the animal wearing until it starts to fray, but way before the carbon fiber visually changes, like the tolerances are changing. Like, I was surprised when I did a big batch of G10 when I first got the mill. I was like, cutting, I was like, wow, I just cut like 90 sets of scales with the same chamfer mill. Like, cutting G10 is great. And then I look, I pull out the end mill, like the end mill's still intact. I look at it and the whole end mill, the chamfer face looks like a staircase because (laughs) it's not wearing where the glue layers are, but where the fiberglass layers are, it was just chewing into it. So it became like a serrated end mill. I still have an end mill in the shop because it just looks really interesting. But G10 was so forgiving that it was still cutting it. Yeah, Uh, I I thought the steps that I felt in it was just the layers or after sandblasting. And then I realized that was just it started to cut like a staircase chamfer. Kind of weird how you think it's one I would have thought about making a material that would you know be purposely for seeing CNC. It Not really. Well, carbide's carbide. They do the coatings, but uh, have you messed around with those uh, the, the composite animals that look like burbits? Uh, a little bit. Uh, I didn't Ari really like makes one. Yeah, I didn't like it very much. Uh, the I'm not generally cutting that deep, and so the serrations don't really help that much unless you're cutting into a deep pocket or a deep profile. That makes sense. Um, and uh, I don't know. Harvey sent me a bunch of in mills to try, and I was cutting them in marbled carbon fiber, and I did the speeds and feeds they suggested, and it it was horrible. Um, and so I just went back to my old speeds and feeds and, and just quit trying to deal with it. Cause one of the problems is that it, it weakens it a little bit by putting in all those little serrations. Um, and so mine just snapped right on one of the serrations. Um, but, uh, one, one thing I've found, or well, somebody told me to, to try is uncoated, um, and I've had way better luck with uncoated tools than coatings on. Yeah, when I need a better finish and less fraying, I'll go uncoated. They just don't last as nearly as long. 
because they don't have that abrasive finish around it. Um, for a job shop that I did three years ago, it was a special type of carbon fiber that actually had glass in it as well. Um, it was killing tools and it needed the, like most of the stuff that I do in composite don't have dimensional tolerances really. Just it's a fixed blade, fixed blade handle right. or a liner, like whatever it is. Uh, I used the uh, PVD end mills, all the PVD tipped end mills, and they were really they're like one hundred fifty dollars for an eighth inch end mill. But wow, they lasted. The, the finish is great. The tolerances were barely ever changing because the end mill just kind of lasted. It didn't really get smaller. It would just no longer cut, and it would keep tolerances until it just stopped cutting. Huh. Yeah, that's strange. I I had almost the opposite. I I was using coated end mills, and they were working okay. They would just the coating on the tip would wear off after two parts, um, and then because there's a coating, it makes it a little bit duller um, because it rounds. You know, the coating add dimension adds dimension, so it it rounds the no, sharp. I'm not edge. talking about coated. I'm talking about PVD tipped end mills. Right. Okay. So they were pretty much. I guess they were ceramic or. Uh, I don't, I don't know. It didn't look like an end mill. It was just the very tip was the the material. And like I said, eight gotcha. inch end mill was like one hundred fifty bucks. They were expensive as all hell, but I ran the entire job with the same end mills. Yeah, I'm cheap. I like buying uh, <laughs> cheaper end mills. Uh, same when it comes to normal stuff because it doesn't really. I, I haven't really seen much of a difference between a ten dollar three sixteenths end mill and a twenty two dollar three sixteenths end mill if it's the same flutes and all the same coatings. Uh, the only time I see a difference is dimensional tolerances. But for me, I'm not running crazy tolerant parts. I don't have probes. So I usually, every time I break end mill, I'll just dial it in. Yeah. Uh, but for what you do, it's always kind of the same thing. Repeat. They're expensive, but they were they were worth it, especially for that job shop. It was a lot of parts in, in that carbon fiber material for some tool for a firefighter device. Uh but it, it was great. I've never used it again because for none of my stuff, because I always, I'd run everything in small batches and never make sense to. But check them out. Might be when you definitely uh, something you might help you out. Yeah. Right on. Um, Gavin is. Uh, it's quite the tangent. Is is there anything <laughs> is there anything that you guys wanted to share that we haven't asked? Uh, not that I can think of. I mean, we might have some things up our sleeve, but we're not quite ready to divulge that information. Okay. So maybe we'll be the first to be on three times. <laughs> they, they say that the third time is the charm. Hopefully. <laughs> but you better have goddamn t-shirts. involve something smaller. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we'll have T-shirts and a box, and actually, I shouldn't say that because we probably won't have any of that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'll just like tape, uh, put a sticker on a shirt, and send it to you. Sure. Yeah. Okay. That works. All right. That works. Um. Oh, they weren't called PVD end mills. They were called CVD end mills. CVD. CBD. CBD end mills. Those are like I want the THC. Yeah. Right. Whoa! We know what, what that stands for. <laughs> uh, it's something I know. D is diamond. Um, I think it's like a ceramic diamond type material. Hmm. Polycrystalline diamond tipped is what the, I see them here. Polycrystalline. Um. Right. Okay. 
Yeah, I've I've heard arguments like both ways, um, but uh, I've the consensus that I got was that it's more economical just to run uncoated in mills. Mm. But I've never done any actual testing myself. I just started using uncoated and uh, really liked them. Yep. Cool. All right. Uh, so you've got you've got some secrets, but that'll have to wait till next time. Uh, we're coming up on finishing this batch, and we're looking forward to the next batch. Um, and you have newsletters, so you have multiple newsletters that people should sign up for, and text message alerts. Um, remind me of the newsletters. Uh, so yeah, the newsletters, uh, if you go to our website, there's a link there somewhere to sign up for individual newsletters, depending on what you're interested in. So we have, we have one newsletter that's just Hawk Knives, which is general information. Um, uh, and I, and we do most of our customer sales that way. Uh, so we offer a, a reselling service for people, um, send us our not you know your knife we'll give it a spa treatment put it up for sale and and uh and then we take 10 percent out of that uh and then we have specific newsletters so if you're really interested in deadlock we've got that we've got uh mud newsletter orbit and i don't know there's probably another one i can't think of uh and then the text messages I'm not really sure. I think I know that on my Instagram, there's a place to sign up for text message alerts, but I'm not sure about the website. I'm going to, I'm just going to guess it's on the website. Okay. And what's the, what's the URL for the website? Um, Hawkknifedesigns.com. Cool. Awesome. All right. Um, well, on that note, I want to, uh, I want to say thank you for taking time, Grant and Gavin, for for coming on a second time. That was very brave. That's very brave. Thank you. We promised to be more interesting next time. Oh, that's what you said the first time, and you were just as interesting this time. (laughs) I lied that time. Yeah. Okay. I'm a prospector. I have a license. Oh, shoot. That's true. All right. I'll hold you you to it. Awesome. Um, well, guys, yeah, thanks thanks so much for coming on, and I will absolutely hold you to it. Uh, third time's the charm. Uh, we'll be back for for more for more info uh, about all the knives. Yeah. Well, well, thank you guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. It was fun. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. Thanks.